We, uh, we're going to continue our series in Acts this morning, um, which, uh, in which we are talking about how we have been sent into our own culture to spread the gospel and advance the church of Christ. Now, in order to do this, we first look at what is actually happening in the historical events in the book of Acts, and we examine not only the history, but the methodology and the motivation of the apostles and the disciples, and then we see how it applies to our current cultural situation. And so we can participate, we get to participate in what God is doing now in this timeline of salvation history. It's really exciting. I think it's exciting. Even though our world seems to be in chaos and our current situation is as difficult as it is, it is is an exciting time to be alive and to experience what God is doing. I hope you feel the same. Last week, Andrew carefully and skillfully helped us understand how we are sent into a culture of idolatry and he helped us expose the gods of sexual immorality. And it's worth listening to if you didn't get a chance uh, to, if you missed it, to go back and listen to that. And this morning we're going to look at how we are sent into a culture of idolatry and how spiritual forces play into this cosmic battle of good and evil and how we get to to be involved and participate. And I have to warn you, the story we're going to read is a little bit brutal, Um, but it displays the truth that the spiritual realm does in fact enter into the physical realm. And can cause harm. But the passage also reveals the power of God over all spiritual forces, which should be of great encouragement to us all. Let's read Acts 19, verses 8 to 20. So it says, and he, so we're talking about Paul here. And he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them About the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, G- by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. 
So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Heavenly Father, uh, help us to understand what's going on here, uh, what it means, um, how we are to um, apply it to our own lives today. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, believe that uh, there are spiritual forces about us, um, but also to believe that you have overcome them and that we can put our hope and our trust in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is take a look at three things the passage, I think, should compel us to do as we understand the spiritual forces that are at work. So first, I think we need to uh, fight in the, in the spiritual battle. We need to fight in the spiritual battle. We need to share the gospel with everyone. And thirdly, I think we need to dream big for our friends. We need to dream big for what God can do in the lives of our friends. So let's take a look first at the fact that we must fight in this spiritual battle. So the battle is real. The scriptures portray it to us. It, it's black and white. And even though we can't necessarily see the spiritual forces of evil, because they're spiritual, right? They're there and they're actively trying to harm you and to damage your faith. Now remember, the passage uh, we just read was about Paul's time in Ephesus. So it makes sense that probably the most famous passage in the Bible on spiritual warfare comes from the book of Ephesians. So if you're not familiar with the passage, then you can turn to Ephesians 6, Verses 10 to 13. I'm going to read just part of that to us today. <clears throat> and this is after Paul had been in Ephesus, but he's left Ephesus and now he's writing back to the church to encourage them and to equip them in their walk. And he talks about this at the end of his letter. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay, now, so uh, I'll go back real quick. Verse 10. So before he, he talks about the spiritual forces and what they're supposed to do, the first thing they're supposed to do is to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. The Bible is very clear in telling us that we are not fighting against people, but we are fighting against spiritual forces. And this is so important for us to understand. We have to fight not against people. We fight against the spiritual forces that are work against us. Personally, I hate to fight. I don't like it. I'm a nine on the Enneagram, which makes me a peacemaker. I'm also really good at being passive-aggressive, or so I'm told. Um, and I'm actually not that competitive. So if I'm winning, if winning means hurting my opponent, then I would rather lose. Now, I'm not trying to say these, that these things are necessarily good traits, and I'm not trying to be pious. I, I've come to realize this is who I am, and it does have its problems. I give up too easily. I either passively let something go or I blow up and it gets ugly. 
like the fifth grade (laughs) when we were on the kickball field during recess. And all of us are out there where, you know, everybody's playing their positions. And there was one kid playing first base named Timmy. Timmy um, Timmy was kind of an effeminate young man. Super nice, kind to everyone, but, you know, kind of that way. Well, Robbie Edmonds, I probably should have changed the names of these people. Uh-oh. I can't imagine they're, they're going to find out. Um, some other kid starts, he starts, um, I'm playing in center field. He's at second base. Robbie's at, um, Tommy, Timmy's at first base. And he's, and, and Robbie starts pounding Timmy with, you know, these terrible things he's saying. Timmy is a blank. Timmy is a blank. Timmy is a blank. He kept saying it over and over again. Bad enough, I'm not going to say it here. So bad that Timmy starts crying. Well, something overcame me, and I was overwhelmed with rage. And just in the middle of the game, I went full bore, running as fast as I could uh, from center field, and just clocked Robbie to the ground and took him down I just couldn't take it any longer. Again, again my passive aggressive behavior coming out, I guess. And uh, created this, uh, you know, schoolyard brawl because everybody had heard basically what he was saying to Timmy and they didn't like it either. So uh, it just wasn't good. Um, and that's not, you know, our, 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 our battle is not against people, right? That's not the right way to deal with the situation. And I think too often we think our differences are with other people and that they're against them, their person, their physical presence. But the scriptures are pointing us to a much bigger scenario that's going on here. It's the scenario that we can't actually see with our physical eyes. It's the fact that there's a spiritual realm where a spiritual battle is taking place. And so in order to fight, we have to see that spiritual battle with spiritual eyes. And remember, our theology tells us that sin has infected every area of creation. Every heart, every mind, every body, every plant, every animal, everything. And the world is in chaos because of it. And we see it today. The world's in chaos not because of some political maniac or because we have different philosophical beliefs around the world, but the world is in chaos because of sin, and sin is a spiritual problem. Now, of course, sin expresses itself in physical ways, but fundamentally, sin is spiritual rebellion against God. That is what it is. And when we're in conflict with other people, the battle is not against the other person. The battle is against the spiritual forces that are at work within that person, This is true of both believers and unbelievers. The unbeliever is spiritually dead and unable to comprehend God's design for life and relationships and rebels against God, a God they don't believe in. The believer is simply rebelling against God and what they know to be true. And so we have to understand that because it impacts our relationships and how we relate to people. I grew up in an alcoholic uh, family. My my dad was an alcoholic. And um, again, kindest man on the planet. Worked hard, right? 
but there, was, there, were, there were consequences to his, his alcoholism, irresponsibility, job to job, uh, financial troubles for us all through childhood, right? And uh, it affected our family in many ways, right? Moving and so forth. And um, I have a brother, and I, and I think that uh, we both, I kind of looked on this later in, in, in life, but I think we both had a different take on what was going on with my dad, right? Like my brother got really bitter towards my dad, and that, that relationship broke down, and he became very bitter. My dad had, you know, borrowed money from him and never paid him back, and um, you know, this is like when we were in high school, and college. My brother was super responsible, right? Worked hard, made money, you know, did all the right things. He had what he needed, and my dad would take advantage of that, and he grew uh, bitter towards it. I, on the other hand, I think once I became a Christian, understood things from a different, different viewpoint. I think I began to see my dad as being trapped, trapped because he didn't know the Lord, he didn't understand some of these things, and it led me to have more compassion for him. Now, my brother loves my dad, and, you know, I don't doubt that at all, but I could just begin to see. I think there was something different going on. He wasn't m- maybe seeing what I was seeing, the spiritual forces there at work. And so when you see the spiritual problem and the spiritual forces that are at work, then you are better equipped to deal with with the person or whatever the issue is creating the conflict and the chaos. And one thing I'm not saying, though, is that because people are spiritually trapped or, or encased in darkness, that they're not culpable for their sin and not responsible for the damage that they are doing. We are all responsible for our own sin. So let's, let, let's take a minute and, and, and put this spiritual battle in action, though. Let's say that you're in conflict with someone. Maybe they've hurt you, or they've done or said something that has upset you. How should you react in this spiritual um, way, this spiritual warfare way? Well, first of all, I would say don't attack the person. Don't attack the person. Attack the spiritual forces surrounding the person. And this happens through prayer. So Paul wraps up his instructions on spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. We didn't read this. But he says, by saying, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray, 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 and then pray some more is what he's saying. More praying, less talking. More praying, less attacking. Pray, pray, and then pray some more. And when you're done praying... Guess what? Go back and pray some more for them. Another thing that we can do is to try to understand what impact those spiritual forces have had on the person who has hurt you. We have all suffered wounds from the evil one. Some from without, but others have been self-inflicted. But either way, we are broken people dealing with other broken people, and we have to understand that about ourselves. And about them. A third way is to disarm the situation with love. Disarm the situation with love. Have you ever seen those guys on TV the, um, uh, with the bomb suits, right? Um, they're all padded and geared up and, and they have to go and, and disarm the bomb and try to stop it from blowing up. 
I cannot think of a worse occupation. Hey, Phil, it's, it's, it's your turn, buddy. The, the bomb's over there. You've got to go and, you know, it, it might blow up, but everything, you know, it would be awful. But it's better to try to disarm the bomb than just allow it to blow up, right? There's a lot less damage if we can do that, if we can disarm things. You want to be a part of disarming a situation by loving the other person rather than creating an emotional or even physical explosion, right? We've all been on both sides of this. Do you want to know the best way to fight with your spouse? Anybody want to know the best way to fight with your spouse? Right in the middle of the argument, right in the middle of the fight, right at the pinnacle of intensity, just stop and say this. You know what, sweetie? I love you. I love you so much. Let's just both take a deep breath and remember how much we really do love each other. Right? I mean, if, if we actually did that, would that not help disarm the situation rather than escalate the situation by continuing to argue or fight? I think it would help. And then, again, in these situations, we are called to fight, but not against the person. We fight against the sin the person is struggling with. Fight against your own sin that you're struggling with. Fight against your pride. Fight against your wounded spirit. And how do you fight? You fight with faith. Faith that says Jesus is bigger than this conflict. Jesus is the reconciler of all relationships. Fight with faith that believes in the sacrificial love of Christ who compels you to love others with that same love. Okay, so the next big point is that we must share the gospel with everyone. We see this going on in the passage. Paul spent two years in Ephesus, two years telling everyone, it says, who would listen about Jesus, whether Jew, Gentile, itinerant exorcist, right? Man, woman, child, whoever. He told everyone the gospel. And this is because the gospel is for everyone. And you don't need any tips or tricks or strategies for evangelism. I don't need to give those to you. Just love everyone the way Jesus has loved you. That's the best way. And tell them why your life is the way it is. Tell them why your life is so messed up. And why you are not a perfect parent. And why you, above all people, need Jesus. Tell them about your own idols, your own little micro-gods that you worship but don't actually do anything for you. And then tell them all about Jesus and what he has done for you. Tell them that your heart used to be what your heart used to be like, but then tell them how Jesus has transformed areas of your life that you thought would never, ever change. Areas you thought change would never be possible. And again, because we know about this spiritual warfare, 
that is taking place, pray that the Spirit of Christ would rest on your friends. Pray that their unbelieving dead spirit would be resurrected by Christ. Pray that the spiritual entanglements that they've gotten caught up in would be untangled by the Almighty Spirit of God. Last week at the end of the prayer petition, someone noticed that I prayed uh, for Andrew that he would have a spirit of boldness and courage as he preached his message. I did not know exactly what Andrew was going to preach on last week. I just did that. And they said they thought that it was odd that they heard the message on sexual idolatry. And then they understood how much courage it took to preach that message. Right? It does take boldness and courage to tell the truth. But that boldness and courage is not something that we just summon upon ourselves. We have to rely on the Spirit of God to proclaim the gospel to everyone. Because the gospel is offensive. It's offensive because it gets in your face and it says you are heading in the wrong direction. And you need to turn around. You're believing in the wrong things. And it's ruining your life. Nobody wants to hear that message. But the gospel, the word gospel means good news. So how does this fit together? It's good news because God has not left us to figure out all this on our own. He's not left to figure out He's not left us to ourselves to figure out all our problems. He's not left us destitute and without hope. He sent Jesus to revive and rescue us and to give us a new life. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy, but Jesus has come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, and when I say share the gospel with everyone... I mean, share it with yourself too. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. It's a great way to start your day. All right, lastly, we need to dream big for our friends. How does that fit in with spiritual warfare? Here's the thing. We need to dream big for our friends because we are in this cosmic battle and we want them to flourish. We want our unbelieving friends and our believing friends to understand this gospel of grace that is so life-transforming that it has changed the history of the world and will continue to change everything from now and throughout eternity. One of the most astounding things that happens in this passage is in verses 18 and 19. Ryan, can you grab those? Verses 18 and 19. <clears throat> also, the, so it says this. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. So these are people that had been, con- these are people in the story that were practicing their witchcraft and they had been converted to Christ. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, the note in my study Bible says that that 50,000 pieces of silver would equal $6 million in today's currency. $6 million. And I read that, it was was harder for me to wrap my mind around it. So when these people converted to Christ, they gave up a substantial amount of wealth. And it wasn't like that they had something that was not honoring to God and then they just sold it and then kept all the money. No, 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 no. They burned it. They burned the things 
They burned their books. They didn't want anyone to have their magic books. They were so moved and so transformed by Jesus that they didn't want to own anything that hindered them from worshiping him alone. It's astounding. Now, here's the thing, too, when we think about dreaming big for our friends. You know, I have to admit that some of my, fr- some of my unbelieving friends have a pretty prosperous and settled life. You know? Uh, and I know that, it, that if they turn in faith to Jesus, their life will be turned upside down. Because Jesus doesn't just leave us in our present state, right, of being. He completely changes everything. I think you've heard the phrase somewhere. Gospel changes everything. And coming to Christ will disrupt your life. I'm not saying that you have to sell all your possessions and give all the money to the poor, but you will begin to understand that all of your possessions, all of your money, everything in your bank account and retirement account no longer belongs to you, but it belongs to God, and that he is just allowing you to steward it in a way that honors him. Over 80% of the people in our community right now, right this second, are not in a church. 80%. That's probably on the low end. It's probably more, actually. They're doing something other than attending church. So if you've always had Saturdays and Sundays free to do whatever you want without attending church, and you come to Christ then you start to come to the realization that your whole weekend situation is going to be different. It's going to need to change since God wants you to be with his people, worshiping him as the corporate body of Christ. And that alone is a big shift in someone's lifestyle. So I get it. It's not, it's not easy to, to be a part of sharing this good news with someone that's going to disrupt their life. But here's the thing. We who are here right now in this room, those of you that are here and online, understand this shift in lifestyle, in mindset of money and possessions, this shift in values and having a completely different worldview, far outweighs the benefits of simply living for ourselves. We get it. You get it. And you would never take it back. You would never renege on this. You're you're never going to want to go back to that old life because you've seen and you've tasted and you know the goodness of God. So I want you to dream about how different your friends' and family's lives could be if they were to make this shift and become a Christian. Think about that. Create a vision in your mind of what it would look like for them to have a true sense of purpose and meaning in life. One in which fits the way that they were created by God to live. Picture what God could do with another life, another family who is committed to glorifying him in all that they do. Remind yourself of how rich and deep the relationships you have and then impose that that mindset, impose what you know to be true, picture that upon another family, upon another, fa- another friend. Someone who's not experienced relationships in such a way, but they could if they turn to Jesus. Dream big. 
for your friends and, and pray God-sized, huge prayers for them that they would come to see Jesus for who he really is, a savior of sinners and a lover of souls. Yes, there is a spiritual battle taking place. And you've probably read 1 Peter 5, 8 that says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. To devour. But 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And Zephaniah 3.7 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Praise God. Jesus, thank you for this passage. As strange as some of these things are that happen in the New Testament, they are real and they reveal what is actually happening in the world, not just physically, but spiritually. And Lord, you show them to us. You you give us these stories in order that we would see you more clearly and see you working in people's lives, in our own lives. And I pray that we would continue to do that and understand this gospel of grace and mercy and truth that has come to us only because you love us. And may it lead us to continue to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.